Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Ceasefire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 379, and today we'll be talking about Kane Crazy and Flood Sweat and Tears from Amphibia. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So the uh, the frogs continue to live in a terrifying world filled with terrifying things that the doom tree and the river lampreys were i mean even those things they were digging up and Anne was hitting with the tennis racket were pretty disturbing <laughs> like that was going for her but yet you know this is a much more comfortable setting for Anne because as we uh see briefly flashback when she was first sent well sent's the wrong word i guess when she first appeared in amphibia she was sleeping in you know a cave wet and sad and surrounded by all sorts of gross bugs and creatures so you know this this life where things attack her on her own terms isn't nearly as bad <laughs> but i guess it's still pretty horrifying you know but it's either be attacked or be forced to eat them sometimes and i'm not quite sure what her diet consists of at this point either because she is pretty displeased by hop hop's cooking poor guy i don't know what she's doing probably a lot of roots yeah Sprig manages to get her some snacks at the end of Flood, Sweat, and Tears, and, you know, you kind of look at them, and I'm like, that looks like the dried shells of bugs. Who knows? Maybe they're eh. salty. I mean, they might be some kind of dried-out vegetable chips. You don't know. Now, you mentioned her being in the cave. You know, I'm not going back to living in a cave. And I, I did mention in the first episode that, you know, she was out there living her best survival video game life, but as they showed us in this episode, she. She she didn't have the wilderness background. Those were hard-won skills. Yeah, we don't know exactly how long her and her friends were hanging around Amphibia, but that's not actually true because we do know how many months they were gone at some point because it said, so we'll find out. But it's not, like, dramatically long. I mean, I think there was just, like, a week or a couple weeks, <laughs> maybe, before before the Frog yeah. family found her, so... You know, nothing nothing too bad, but yeah, she uh, she adapts quickly, at least. And she continues to adapt quickly to all these new situations, including the idea that uh, trees are just giant mantis evil creature things. And also maybe, <laughs> you know, the local woodsmith, hilarious word, by the way, I don't think that's real, may have termites on him and maybe a complicated man with interesting statues of himself throwing uh, discuses, this guy. Yeah, Sprig saying, you know, we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about this. <laughs> that was... At the first time, I'm like, so is the statue going to move? Or is it going to, like, say something about them? But then Sprig comes through the door and does that. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, that was funny. That was even funnier than my idea. Well, I I like how Sprig is obsessed with the uh, click pen, which is a quality of his that will continue to track through the show. But uh, that that was also the solution to distract Loggle from... Um, you know, it's truly horrific how many of his beautiful woodcrafts were destroyed, including a very ornate cuckoo clock that apparently took him two decades to make. I I, I really like Loggle. I, I love this axolotl, and he's he's so funny. <laughs> he's not, like, reserved, but he is, like, soft-spoken, except for when he's not. And he his backstory <laughs> as to why he pauses at the end of every sentence before he negates them is pretty hilarious, <laughs> because... You know, it's dark. He just got straight up, like, pierced. His his voice box got pierced by, like, some horrible metal thing. And this is why he works with wood now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Kane Crazy was, like, 
obviously they're both like wonderful little episodic episodes and i just love this stuff where it's like hey here's an adventure it doesn't really connect much go out and have fun you know i love stuff like that but i'd say king crazy was more of the it just felt like you know hey we're just gonna toss in loggle and we're gonna she's gonna destroy this beautiful cuckoo clock because it's a cartoon and it's funny when you do that and you know it just felt like one of those kinds of episodes right it feels a little rude of Anne. Like, Anne doesn't always consider people, because, right, she broke, you know, Hop-Hop's cane, but it does seem, the the, the scene where they're fending themselves, uh, defending themselves in the, in the woodshop is a little ridiculous, but, you know, so is, so is there being a, a termite jar lying around. It's heavily cartoony, yeah. and yet I am here for it, because what Amphibia does is they bring it back together, and I love how Hop-Hop takes his nap. And he's ready to say, oh, and I'm just trying to teach you a lesson. I love the balance they strike with Hot Pop, where he is an old man who has, you know, the wise thoughts. And also he's just also still deeply immature. He prepared a full list of burns, yeah, to <laughs> try to roast Dan with. But they're so, so poor quality. <laughs> you know, your limbs sure look like twigs. <laughs> Got him. It's uh, it's it's just so endearing, um, and you know he's still mad about the cane. Yet you know they're all just this. You see this little sweet family forming, and it, it's wonderful. You know, uh, you know we get the first mention of Sprigan against the world. This lovely duo, and you know Polly starts warming up. Everybody's warming up a bit to the idea of you know Anne being a part of the fam. So it's it's okay to also have just ridiculous cartooniness. Yeah, because you know also. Other things that don't make sense. Why did Anne have all these? She had a lot of human world treasures packed away in that backpack, didn't she? Besides yeah. seemingly endless supplies of replacement batteries for her phone that must have a uh, one of the older cases where you can just pull off the back and replace the battery. She's probably got a hand crank charger in there somewhere. Something like that. Uh, well, she doesn't have a hand crank because it does, again, it will die. And then when it does die, you'll be like, I'm glad it died, but why did it take this long to die? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Her, Sprig, like, looking through her stuff, I'm like, I guess it makes sense she had the tennis racket with her, but there's just so much stuff she has. Whatever. Now, but but you mentioned, you know, it was very rude of her, or very inconsiderate of her, to throw the antique cuckoo clock at the Doomtree bug, but, like, that's one consistent feature of Anne I've seen for these first four <laughs> episodes, that she is not a nice person. She is very much a teenager and not one of those rare teenagers where you're like man i really feel sympathetic for you being trapped in high school she's like no she belongs in high school <laughs> wow that is quite the way to put it no i mean she's absolutely the teenager who has to learn every lesson right? actually she's in middle school isn't it based on her uh that makes it even worse yeah they might be like eighth graders oh god that's awful yeah yeah she's definitely a middle schooler yeah, it's like that older middle schooler vibe. Um, yeah, you know, but she does learn her lessons. You know, like Eventually. she learns about roommates for the first time. You know, this is what a lot of kids <laughs> learn. Hop Hop had already learned his lesson. I wish I could learn more about Hop Hop's horrible experiences. I'm like, was it his wife? Was it some friend? Like, I want to know, you know, his wisdom truly applied here. That's just what I assumed is that it was an ex-wife or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't remember if we hear mention of 
a partner or she died or what, because Hop Hop later does find a little bit of a romantic life uh, happening in the show. So surely it must have come up. But yeah, you know, Anne does learn lessons. She learns that you know she needs to uh maybe not live with sprig <laughs> directly in his room they at, at minimum have different temperature needs which is a pretty big deal with partners but she was an incredibly inconsiderate roommate yeah she didn't learn how to be more considerate she could have just been more considerate <laughs> she could have not stayed up so late with the lights on or snacking so loud well there was there were some things that okay maybe she doesn't notice that it's annoying him but then she's doing things like Hey, hey, wake up and let me keep on badgering you with silly hypothetical questions. Like, that's that's just straight up self-centered right there. You should really grow out of that when you're like, some elementary school. It's not that old to realize that, hey, maybe I shouldn't wake somebody up to ask them what magical condition would they rather be afflicted with. <laughs> and yet, you know, in a childlike way, it's also, you know, she is genuinely trying to bond with Sprague and even though that's one of the annoying things, that's still what Sprague invites her to do, maybe on his own terms a little more through the can-on-a-string communication system at the end. Yeah, yeah. See, he can always just put the can away when he wants to. Uh-huh. She has to climb up some stairs if she wants to wake him up with a pillow smack then. <laughs> I do enjoy the frog nature, though, like, right, with the temperature differences, he'll actually freeze very easily overnight. Those are those are nice. I like remembering that they're frogs. It's not just the horrifying monsters that attack them in the world or you know those types of things they eat bugs but like oh yeah their eyesight underwater and their temperature sensitivity it's cute of course i also like him just hopping along all the time i'm just staring at whenever you know sprig hops places and polly is kind (laughs) of mini hopping places it brings me great joy and we did get confirmation in the second episode of this pair that they do have bathrooms uh, he lied and said he was going to go to one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some concepts shared with the human world. And I was, you know, I was kind of staring again. I-, I was thinking about, because this episode mentions plumbing. And I'm like, what is the correct technological age of Amphibia's world? Or at least this village's world, you know? I mean, Hop Hop has clothes that would look typical in maybe a 19th century setting, you know? They don't seem to have any, like, large mechanical things yet, like trains or whatever, although who knows. Well, remember, this is a rural village, and we've seen the, the I've seen the kind of breastplate that they can put onto Sasha, so mm-hmm. they have some serious metallurgy in their urban centers. So these guys are no jokes, it's just, you know, in a poorer rural area, they can't afford all that gee whiz stuff that the warrior aristocracy can afford. Right, and yeah, I mean, they have some basic forms of I mean, plumbing's a, a pretty big deal. So we're not talking um, medieval or even earlier, you know, Roman era type stuff. I mean, this is clearly a society that I'm thinking is post 1600s, 1700s uh, European technology. Yeah, if, if you showed me an army of frog people uh, armed with muskets rather than swords, I wouldn't even bat an eye. Like that would make perfect sense. Well, and uh, it's Hop Pop's family members. Are those photographs? Or I guess those must be paintings mm. because I'm not sure. You know, Anne takes a picture of um, Loggle's map. And even though he, they definitely don't know what phones are and whatever, do they know what photography is? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, Sprig in the previous episodes we covered was like, oh, you just captured my soul in, in your yeah. rectangle. 
And that's, of course, making fun of old religious beliefs about uh, such things. So mm-hmm. I guess there's some iconoclasm going on, except he has the photos or the uh, they're probably paintings. I'm just looking at it. it. It looks like it's supposed to be stylized like a painting. I don't know. Yeah. So whatever. That would be, you know, uh, what, what photography in our world? I'm thinking like, oh, the first president to be photographed was Abraham Lincoln. So, you know, there's still before maybe any major industrial revolution or any major, uh, you know, if everything maps the same way in the human world. I don't know. Maybe frogs do things different. I guess it just depends on the ready availability of coal in the world of amphibia. That's what it comes down to. Right, or whatever major energy source. Um, Although, yeah, the funny thing about amphibious world is it's just our world (laughs) with anthropomorphized frogs. and You know what I mean? Like, it's not sci-fi in that there's any special... um, other things going on it's just like oh yeah there's these monsters that are just bugs like they're all conceivably animals and things that could have happened in our world it's not like etheria with the runestones and whatnot right although well you know we'll see where the lore goes you know i'm trying to be very coy about like oh what type of uh technology oh what type of uh mysterious other properties blah 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 i mean clearly there's magical dimensional boxes that can take you between places so that gives you some kind of hint as to something. I want to get some answers on that. That is going to be very interesting once we finally get to that season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, magic box. That was also making me think technology. I think we've definitely seen books because, like, Hop Up has a cookbook and stuff. So, you know, printing press. Yeah, Loggle had his book of dangerous trees, was it? Oh, of course, of course, yeah. So I don't know if those are all mass manufactured or not, but, you know... I mean, that had the mass manufactured title, but again, it's a very cartoony episode of a reasonably cartoony show, so <laughs> I don't think we can trust anything we see uh, as far as world building is concerned in that one. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. It's not a, you know, apparently when Rebecca Sugar did her big timelines for the series, this was an innovative approach for like storyboard driven shows. And I actually I can't remember if Amphibia is script driven or storyboard driven. It has the feel of a uh, script driven show to me, like a lot of the Disney shows are script driven. And that's kind of where the the way that you say like joke density is high. Like a lot of them are verbal jokes and not just visual jokes. But um, yeah, I don't know if they did if they do similar like giant timelines, here's the technology of the world. But I have a feeling as we see the series progress, you're like, they must have some kind of mechanism the same way that Steven Universe did to plan this show because it has quite a extensive, you know, history. Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you'll get to learn the detailed history of, you know, the bookmaking process, obviously. That's the exciting part. Yeah, oh, clearly. That's that's what we're here for. <laughs> the history of whittling and woodmaking. <laughs> I did is uh, the the way Loggle had those three separate lenses on his uh, little magnifying glass set up there, and he's like, mm-hmm. like, it's it's obvious he won't be able to help them because we have to have an episode. But uh, that was so cool. <laughs> you know, I really feel like he actually is a good woodworker. I'm not sure why he couldn't repair that that stick, but whatever. And then the way the the insect just is like hey i'm leaving now and just wanders off and he's not <laughs> yeah, big and scary and covered in armor yeah it's just going back and forth you know um i did the best line that he managed to squeak out was his 
you know, another day avoiding bankrupt, say, <laughs> like turning his head and seeing uh, and it's Sprague running towards him. This, this is pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, like, why would they run to him specifically? It's like they're out to ruin him. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Uh, it's just like, oh, that's the location we were at previously in this episode, so we have to return there. <laughs> like, you'd, you'd think that they would hide in Hot Pop's place, or like, the mayor's place. The guy's pretty good at getting an angry mob together, don't forget. I mean, maybe, I don't know, I don't want to make him mad at Anne, so. Well, they can't go back home because they're dealing with getting a new stick for Hot Pop, so. They can only go into the only other location that had backgrounds drawn for it in this episode. Yeah, true, true. Very nice that that was posted in the town square so that they would know where it was safe to run to. (laughs) Otherwise, it would have to be just like their journey out to the Doom Tree. We'd just have to draw it on a map where uh, where in the town they run to. And then we could like draw a big old X over the building after it gets destroyed in the chair. Oh, that would actually be funny. Play a destruction sound and they run to another building and continue the process. You know, it was cute when Avatar did the overhead little map, chibi, chibi characters, but I don't know. As I've seen it occur in every cartoon seemingly I've watched, I'm not like terribly impressed whenever they rely on that what? technique for scene oh, transitions, on. but whatever. You can do it once to be cute, but... The Emperor's New Groove, come on. Oh, that's right. Well, I don't know who, you know, is it all inspired for, is it all playing on... You know, Indiana Jones did it, but it was just an airplane with lines. So I don't know who first decided, let's do like chibi versions of the characters and kind of maybe you can draw their interactions a little bit or draw how they're reacting to moving across the map. I don't know, because Glitch Techs did that when they didn't want to spend as much money animating a scene. They would do it with the uh, like very simple 2D chibi figures. And that was nice. I mean, I, I forgive them for having to do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. It's leaning into, I wouldn't even say cartooniness, it's just, that that was eight seconds of the episode. <laughs> that only required us to draw something simple. Whatever. I, I, did, I did like the detail that they go straight through, and she's like, you know what, I'm going around. Yeah. <laughs> very, very nice attention to detail. Yep. They are frogs, and she is not. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, I I love these episodes. I um, there luckily there's quite a few like this. Amphibia is nice and slow, and they really spend a great amount of time developing this feeling of and building trust and nice relationships and learning little lessons with the family. I I really love those increasing familial themes and also it's world building, but not so much for lore, but just building that sense of I'm this girl from Earth stuck here for quite a while and I learn to integrate in this in this strange new place and I learn their customs and I learn their wildlife and I learn their food. But I'm not learning, you know, ridiculous deep lore. <laughs> I mean, we'll get there. <laughs> but it's nice to just be in a world and world building to be about being in this pleasant place. <laughs> Even though it's like it gets to be about frogs instead, you know? So it's like getting that Craig of the Creek or Hey Arnold vibe of, being in a place for a while, but with the fun, quirky element of lingering, magical, mythical strangeness. Yeah, and you, and since we're in a, you know, more of a small town kind of vibe, everything's a little simpler, more uh, easy to come to grips to. I mean, I'm just imagining 
Uh, you, you could have done a whole thing with uh, her in a city where, like, the fact, oh, you're, her being a human doesn't matter at all. It's like, we see all sorts of weird stuff here. Non-frog, whatever, fine. <laughs> like, you see that done in sci-fi a lot, where you have the, the human on an alien city world and no one cares. It's just like uh, Luz, actually, in uh, whatever the heck that town was called, I forgot. The Boiling Isles. Well, I don't remember what the town is called. But yeah, that, that, that town which reminded me so much of Wizard City in Adventure Time Distant Lands specifically, by the way. Yeah. Where it's just like, here, look at how weird this place is. <laughs> if only they'd had someone singing, welcome to Wizard City, to lose. But... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, she did meet Scam Wizards, so... <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, that seemed to pop up. So, yeah, I, I I appreciate the episodic vibe that Amphibia is giving me, and I'm assuming it won't be until the end of the first season that they really try to hook in the story i'm assuming there will be uh trips back to sasha in the meantime but uh we'll see we'll see when we get there right we'll spend a little bit of time seeing her friends um although i don't remember if they specifically get like episode long features but yeah compared to you know steven universe basically does it's uh it's doing a lot of background stuff even in the first half of its season right it's not like uh, the mid mid season happens and Lapis appears and that's the first time anything like of interest ever happened. You can go back and watch and lots of things. We're building little steps. Amphibia, you know, I have to keep watching. Obviously, we noticed in episode one that weird thing that happened with Anne's eyes. It, you know, if if there are things, that I, I feel like they're so much more subtle, uh, which is good because it's it's really just about the characters at the end of the day, and I really like them not only the characters it's also about having fun and i'm having fun yeah no it's just being funny (laughs) like um so that's that's good and when the deep lore kicks in i I don't know we'll 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 see how much the vibe of the show changes or not Um, i'm still trying to assess for myself how i feel about it now being in a season three well guys that's it for us on cane crazy and flood sweat and tears Join us next week. We're going to be adding Summer Camp Island to our rotation. We got the Barb backstory arc of episodes coming up first. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.